Welcome to the AdLaw Access Podcast. My name is Alex Schneider, and I'm an associate in the advertising law practice at Kelly Dry. On this episode, we're going to talk about some recent privacy developments. Later, we'll talk about the status of amendments to the CCPA. But first, let's discuss the FTC's recent $5 billion 20-year settlement order with Facebook. It's the agency's most prescriptive privacy and data security order ever reached, and the fine is possibly the highest dollar value civil penalty ever in a privacy case, and, according to the IEPP, higher than the sum of all other privacy fines ever, and that's globally. And it's an exceptional order. Even in her extensive dissent to the order, FTC Commissioner Rebecca Slaughter labeled the order exceptional. As lawyers focused in this area, we see our role as interpreting and providing guidance on the terms of the settlement. And so we've been focusing recently on the, the terms and trying to understand why the FTC decided to go the way it did with some of these terms. So let's talk about uh, those terms and what makes this order particularly exceptional. So first, there's uh, some new data security terms in the order, including uh, a requirement that when Facebook faces a data breach impacting more than 500 users, it is required to provide that information to the DOJ and the FTC. That's really different from other orders in the past. In the past, we've seen uh, companies uh, agreeing to information security programs where they uh, internally uh, review uh, their security um, and have independent evaluations, internal assessments, annual certifications, but to have a data breach notice is an exceptional requirement. Another um, pretty exceptional requirement is the third-party monitoring uh, found in the settlement agreement. Under the settlement, Facebook is required to design and implement safeguards that require vetting, monitoring, and enforcement against third parties that use Facebook uh, user information for their own consumer applications and websites. These safeguards include mandating each such party to provide a self-certification on compliance with Facebook's terms. They also require Facebook to conduct ongoing compliance monitoring and to enforce compliance terms, including by restricting access to Facebook data if there are instances of non-compliance, and to take other appropriate disciplinary measures that are commensurate with the violation, gravity, or and prior history of compliance. That's pretty different from other cases, and especially other FTC cases, where in this case, the FTC is actually requiring Facebook to vet the terms uh, and the ways that uh, its uh, third parties use Facebook data. It remains to be seen if these are more robust fencing in relief, or if they are a preview of what, FTC, what the FTC will demand in other cases involving third-party compliance, including with respect to telemarketing and lead generation. Another pretty uh, remarkable uh, and exceptional uh, area of this settlement is the overlapping channels of compliance. And that's how it was termed in the majority uh, opinion uh, to the uh, settlement order. The overlapping channels of compliance uh, are first, a fa that Facebook must create an independent privacy committee. Second, Facebook CEO and compliance officers will be required to submit quarterly compliance certifications vouching for the company's compliance with the order. And third, Facebook will face monitoring by independent assessors and the FTC. 
This, these overlapping channels of compliance are no small feat. Facebook has agreed to 20 years of extensive auditing at multiple levels. While many FTC decisions may include some of these compliance checks, the order's inclusion of all of them is significant. Now there is a caveat to that. In a recent settlement with, the, with Equifax, the FTC uh, mandated that Equifax include a hotline or email hotline uh, for uh, Equifax employees to submit complaints or concerns about the company's information security practices to the FTC and a process then for reviewing, addressing, and escalating those complaints. That type of process was notably absent from the Facebook settlement and the overlapping channels of compliance. Nonetheless, Facebook's uh, uh, terms were pretty robust and we still view it as pretty exceptional terms. Another indicator of how uh, far the FTC went with this case uh, was an addendum to the settlement order. It's actually a page for Facebook to incorporate it into its corporate um, governance terms. It's a new article added to the corporate charter that protects the integrity of the independent privacy review process, which, after all, is a cornerstone of the settlement agreement. This is a unique way for the FTC to ensure that a company incorporates the settlement into its very charter and, and very, um, corp, you know, in the way that the corporation is run. That's a pretty exceptional and heavy-handed uh, uh, term to include in the settlement. Now, there are some other terms that uh, were more mainstream, and I just want to kind of go over those uh, somewhat quickly. Uh, first off, there are limitations on liability in this order. Uh, Facebook uh, neither admits nor denies any of the allegations against it. That's similar to the 2012 settlement order uh, that was agreed between the FTC and Facebook, where Facebook uh, did not uh, expressly deny the allegations uh, in the complaint uh, or, or, or admit the allegations in the complaint. Here again, uh, Facebook has not been required to do so, and so that's kind of typical for, some, for many of these FTC orders. And it's something that some of the Democrats in particular uh, wanted to have addressed where Facebook would be required to admit liability, uh, but that was not addressed by the order. Another uh, aspect is privacy prohibitions. It's interesting, uh, one of the paragraphs from the privacy prohibitions and restrictions terms in the settlement is basically verbatim the 2012 order. And so what the FTC did was it said, once again, Facebook has to agree not to make misrepresentations about privacy and information security in connection with its products and services. Uh, but then the rest of the order augments the original 2012 order and adds some new terms. The FTC also uh, here is adding some specific terms relating to some of the stories you may have read in the Washington Post or other outlets. It uh, adds rules about facial recognition templates, about uh, account authentication and, and the telephone numbers that are used and, and what Facebook can and cannot do with those accounts. Um, those terms are all very specific, and, and that's reminiscent of other uh, privacy settlements that the FTC has agreed to uh, with other companies. Uh, because the FTC, what it does is it takes the issues at play and then it turns those into requirements moving forward. So we didn't view those as particularly exceptional. Of course, the FTC also is requiring uh, Facebook to uh, have an information security program. 
That's similar to a case earlier this year where Lightyear dealer technologies uh, exposed personal information and the FTC had mandated a detailed information security program. Uh, once again, that's, that's something that is, that is typical. The FTC is also going to require Facebook to implement uh, written safeguards relating to uh, the rollout of new services and uh, products uh, and uh, uses of, of data. In particular, the FTC is also requiring a more in-depth review when it comes to uh, sensitive information, information with a material risk to privacy, confidentiality, or integrity of user information. Those kinds of safeguards slow down the process of development. They require more deliberation, review, oversight. They increase the power of the privacy committee that was uh, put in place by the settlement order. But again, though that does not necessarily differ from other cases in the past where a company is required to put together written uh, uh, safeguards uh, relating to how it handles products. Now the second topic to talk about on today's podcast is the California Consumer Privacy Act. Currently there's a variety of amendments that are uh, under review in the Senate in, the, in California. The CCPA goes into full effect January 1st, 2020, and so we only have a few months left to see what happens to those amendments. The most recent activity was in the Judiciary Committee. Uh, the Judiciary Committee passed seven amendments to the CCPA. Those now head to the Senate Appropriations Committee on August 12th at 10 a.m., and along with many other uh, amendments, they will be uh, reviewed, passed, and then uh, go to the floor of the Senate. The Senate then has until uh, September 13th uh, to pass those amendments. Some of them will also need to be re uh, passed again by the House, and so they would go to conference committee for the two houses to agree to, their, uh, to language. And finally, uh, the bill would have to be signed by October 13th by the California governor. So there's a few steps left to go, uh, but the question now is, what are the changes that were made in the Judiciary Committee, and what, kind, what are the bills going to be doing? Because at the end of the day, uh, what we've found is that most of the uh, amendments have thus far not made significant changes to the overall purpose of the CCPA, but have made some incremental changes. So let's talk about some of those changes. The first uh, amendment that's been on a number of people's minds that I've spoken with is the employee exemption AB25. AB25 originally exempted uh, all employees from the CCPA. That meant that if an employee wanted to uh, obtain information from their employer, they would not be able to use CCPA rights uh, to do so. AB25 was amended in the Senate, however, to uh, weaken the employee exception by sunsetting the exemption on January 1st, 2021, and also uh, requiring certain notice requirements and also um, data breach liability provisions. So AB 25 is not uh, as strong as it was in the House. The question that remains is whether AB 25 will uh, go in the direction of, what, of the bill passed by the Senate or if it will go in the direction of the bill passed by the House. We understand that uh, the author of the bill 
supports the version in the Senate. And so it's highly likely that it will go with that one-year extension. What that means for companies is that eventually the CCPA will apply to employees, it will apply to job applicants, business owners, directors, officers, and contractors. And so whether it's getting ready now or getting ready next year, companies should be uh, thinking about how they're going to apply CCPA rights and all the protections to their employees. Another important bill is AB 846, which relates to loyalty programs. There was a uh, lack of clarity on loyalty programs and whether the CCPA would prohibit loyalty programs. Um, the bill was amended uh, to prohibit a business from selling personal information of consumers collected as part of a loyalty program. So that is a new part to the Senate bill. But on the other hand, uh, the loyalty program uh, amendment is moving forward. So that's something that uh, companies who run loyalty programs are going to want to review. Another bill is uh, AB 1202, which relates to data broker registration. Basically, that bill is going to require uh, data brokers to register with the California Attorney General, but the amendment actually dropped language that would have provided consumers the right to opt out of the sale of their personal information by data brokers. So that bill is a little bit weaker than the House version. Now, AB 1564 uh, relates to access request requirements. The way to summarize that bill is that originally the CCPA required companies to have a toll-free number for consumers to put in uh, requests uh, and to uh, access data and to put in their requests on uh, deletion. Uh, AB 1564 would remove that requirement for online-only businesses, but it would still require toll a toll-free number. And again, that differs from the House version which would have gotten rid of uh, the toll-free number requirement. Uh, so we're going to have to see what happens, but it's highly likely that some companies, at least, will require a toll-free number uh, moving forward. Uh, let's see, Assembly Bill 1146 did pass uh, without much amendment, uh, but there were some amendments, and so it would still need to go to conference committee with the House. On the other hand, two bills, AB 874 and AB 1355 uh, both uh, passed uh, unanimously without any amendment and so those are currently on the fast track to the governor's signature uh, they would not require another vote in the house if they are approved by the senate they can move forward both bills are sort of clarifying amendments they make changes to the bills that are uh, based on uh, the definition of publicly available information based on the definition of personal information um, uh, they relate to the uh, exemption for de-identified or aggregate consumer information. They make changes to what goes into a privacy notice. And so those bills are important, but again, they're more technical bills. Well, as all of these bills move through the Senate, we'll continue to track them. And we should know the uh, verdict on which bills pass and which fail by September 13th. Well, that's it for today. Uh, this has been Alex Schneider for the AdLaw Access Podcast. Continue to follow us online at adlawaccess.com. Thanks for listening.